We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, all right, all right. Irish Breakdown fans, IB Nation, Notre Dame fans, we are back for another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. It is Friday. You know what that means, Ryan? It means it is time to make some predictions, but we're going to have a little bit of a pregame first because this week we decided we needed to talk a little bit about Notre Dame first, the first couple days of the week. So we didn't get quite as much done in our preparation for the matchup, specifically the matchup of UNLV and Notre Dame. So today, before we begin our predictions aspect of this show, which we'll start with Notre Dame, and then we'll kind of go into the big games of the weekend. We'll finish things off with a mailbag. So if you have questions, get them in now and we will answer them. We're going to start with some keys to the game, right? Which is normally what we do on Thursday, but today we're going to do it to kick off our show. So we're going to discuss sort of the the four keys that we see to victory for Notre Dame, but it's going to be bigger than just beating UNLV because honestly, Notre Dame could run out and do real simple, basic stuff and, and beat UNLV as long as they don't screw things up. And that doesn't mean you got better as a football team, right? I mean, it, it just doesn't. These keys are going to be about Notre Dame not only winning this game, but things that they need to do to not only win this game, but more importantly, put themselves in position to then roll into these next few games in order to have an opportunity for for some upset victories, which is what, after this game, the next two games will likely have to be upset victories over ranked opponents. Now, whether or not Notre Dame is favored at home against Clemson, I don't see why they would be. Whether they're favored to beat Syracuse on the road, who knows? I don't know what those early lines are going to look like haven't looked, but they're going to be ranked higher than Notre Dame. So it will require upsets. So that's what the focus is going to be for today. I want to begin with the offense, Ryan, because this is the side of the ball that draws the most attention. Now, I don't think the defense has necessarily played great either. It's played well enough to win, but we've yet to see a great performance from the defense. I mean, they're only giving up, you know, low 20s. They haven't given up a lot of points this year. The only team that's gone over 30 is a team that did so late in a blowout win. They've held opponents to 21, 19, 17, 20, and 16 points in the other five games besides the North Carolina game, which, again, they gave up some garbage touchdowns late. But they haven't had a great performance yet. 
So that side of the ball has to get better as well, and we'll get to that. But let's be honest. The offense is the side of the ball that has kept Notre Dame from winning football games, and and that's the side of the ball that has drawn the most angst. That is the side of the ball that needs to make the biggest jumps in improvement, and even more so than last year. I mean, they were struggling on offense last year, Ryan, but they weren't this bad. We Mm -hmm. saw a big jump in the second half of the year last year. They're going to need to make another similar jump this year. And I think it's got to start on Saturday against UNLV. And, you know, we'll discuss the keys, Ryan, and we'll make predictions. But if the offense doesn't at least start to gain some momentum in this game, I I fear that the second half of the season is going to be a lot of what we saw in the first half of the season, except against an arguably tougher front, you know, start to finish schedule. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, Brian, we don't we don't sugarcoat anything on this show, right? So it's the simple fact of UNLV is an inferior opponent from a talent perspective, from just a <laughs> just from a cult. I mean, from a program perspective, I mean, it's it's no conversation as far as that goes. And you're sitting here where you had a nice performance the second half against Cal, which brought you some momentum going into North Carolina against a bad defense, and then you maintained it a little bit. You had an okay performance against BYU. But then you have kind of a jaw back to reality last week against Stanford. So now, you know, it's it's something where when you gain momentum, you also lost the momentum again, right? Like you just got kind of knocked back a couple pegs the last game. So this, this is a big opportunity for Notre Dame because the one time that they have gained some sort of momentum, they eventually lost it, right? So it's not only just gaining the momentum against UNLV, it's making it sustainable, right? Because you knew watching – a couple of those games, you know, I, I think especially BYU, for instance, right? We knew that it was nice that Notre Dame had had some success offensive, but you also knew that a lot of it wasn't incredibly sustainable, right? Like it some was of the your things dudes that are better than their dudes. That's what it was. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And this needs to be a full ditch effort, right? Like it's not just about players playing well. The coaches need to come out and have a big game in this game. You need to see some legitimate changes on the mm-hmm. offensive side of the football. If you don't see that then I'm going to feel the same way, right? Like I I think someone said in the chat, like, you know, early before the show even started that Notre Dame could win this game 42 to 10 and you wouldn't necessarily feel good about this game. And you're hundred percent correct. You're hundred percent. You need to see legitimate growth. We know that Notre Dame has more talents. That's never going to be a question in this matchup, right? It's about evolution of the offense. It's about cohesiveness. It's about players and coaches being on the same page and believing in the same message 
That's what the opportunity is in, uh, in is for Notre Dame tomorrow. It's not about having a good performance. It's about having a good, sustainable performance. Right. Those things need Something to coexist. Something you can build on. 100% exactly. agree. I think you nailed it, Ryan. It's about are you setting a foundation for success for the second half of the season, and that's the key. So what does that look like, Ryan? I think the biggest one is obvious. I, I hinted about it yesterday. I said that this is going to continue to be key number one until they start doing it, and that is starting fast. This is a team on offense that lacks confidence. It is a team on offense that's not having confidence instilled in them and how they prepare. And 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 you look at it, Ryan, and it's it's one of those things where they come out slow in there in every capacity. It's not just about slow from a result standpoint, but it's slow from a tempo standpoint. It's slow from a how they attack defenses standpoint. It's slow from a how the players come off the ball standpoint. There is zero urgency with this offensive football team, and it's even worse at the beginning of games. It's almost like they don't really show any kind of energy until they fall behind. Can't do that. Because if you do that, you'll lose to Syracuse, you'll lose to Clemson, you'll lose to USC, and it's not a given that you'll beat Navy and Boston College, right? Yep. With the way that they control the clock, the way that Navy controls the clock. And, and BC is a weird team. They're bad, but they're always prone to that because they have talent, that one game where they just play out of their minds. And again, if you can lose to Stanford, you can lose to Boston College. Okay, it's as simple as that. So it's about coming out and showing some energy, showing some emotion, showing some fire, receivers flying off the ball, linemen coming off the ball and drilling people, Drew Pine coming out, being sharp and crisp, a good game plan that doesn't – I mean, it, that's the th- thing is the coaching staff with its game plan intentionally slows down the offense. And then you're shocked – that they start slow. I mean, this isn't rocket science as much as they, somebody that Tommy Reese tries to make it that. So it's about coming out with tempo, coming out with pace. I was a little concerned by what coach Freeman said yesterday. He was talking about how they're practicing, not on a script that they're just kind of, you know, there's a lot of things he said yesterday. I liked, but there was one comment about the, the, the answer to this is, is kind of treating practice like a game where the guys don't know the call. They have to look and get the call from the sideline and that's fine if that's what you're doing as part of a tempo offense, but it, it it also could be that it's the same thing. They're just now they're running the scan in practice, which without letting the players know, which again, that's not how you gain an early fast start. And so it just that sounded to me like they're grasping at straws offensively. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope yep. I'm wrong. But that's a concern that I have. But if they are if if we are not correct in that assumption and they're practicing it the right way, meaning they are going more tempo, getting the look from the sideline, then going to call. That's actually a good thing, because if you haven't run tempo much this year, you need to practice tempo. And the best way mm-hmm. to practice tempo is to not necessarily have the calls. you got to, you know, let's go quick, get the call, line up, and go. And I think that it would be a good thing. So, again, how that, that comment can be perceived in a lot of different ways. How it actually manifests is going to determine if this is going to be a team that can come out and start fast. And then all the things that that entails. And starting fast means moving the ball up and down the field on your first several drives of putting points on the board. That's what starting fast means. And that's what this offense has to do in this game, right? I mean, practically speaking, right? Offensively, you are lacking an identity and a rhythm right now, right? So starting fast gets you an early rhythm and it starts to make you feel more confident. But more than anything, Brian, I've talked a lot about this this week, weeks past, just not a lot of energy on this team, right? Like there's not. And I think that some part of it may be, you know, it's it's kind of 
subconscious a little bit, but if you don't start fast in a football game, it's easy to kind of turn, you know, and to start to feel a little skeptical about, you know, oh, we haven't been doing really well offensively. We got off to another slow start. Is it just a, you know, business as usual kind of on this season? You know, we're just going to start slow. And I think that getting off to a fast start, you know, both offensively and, and even defensively could be a big boost to this team as far as the energy because it's it's a lot easier to buy in when things are going well, right? It, it's hard sometimes to fight through the adversity. I know that that's where leadership is obviously born, but for this team, especially a team that lacks confidence, they lack an energy, getting off to a strong start, I think will kind of exude that into them. And I want to see this team play loose. I, I really do think as this team gets more energy and gets more confidence, that will start seeing them play a little loose. You know, I right. think there's a part of it that, Coaching needs to help them play loose a lot more than they have. But I think the other part of it is that this team needs to experience more success early on in games. If they experience more, more, more success early on in games, I believe that they'll play a little more loose. I think they'll play more for a little bit free, and I think that they need that. Not, not necessarily just in the UNLV game, but to your point to begin this podcast for the rest of the season. You need right. to start finish, starting a lot faster because it's going to start giving you more energy in football games. So, like, your point is good in that this there's nothing you can say to these players that's going to instill confidence in them. They need to have success. They need to experience success. That's going to be the key for this team. If they can su- experience success, then this team will have a chance to get rolling. That's just yep. that's how it's going to be. So that's what they have to do, and that's going to be a key to success for this football team. So uh, looking forward to kind of seeing if they're able to do that, Ryan. It's going to tell us a lot about this football team if they are able to do that. Key number two, limit the scan, push the tempo. This is the one I'm least optimistic that they're going to, in fact, do. But the reality is, is one of the best ways to get into a rhythm is to go. It is tried and true. It is it is not only a way to get them rolling, Ryan, but everything that they say they are this young and experienced, you know, not great depth in, at the receiver position, you know, really good at running back. And there, you know, questions about how much talent they have. I had someone responded to the, the, the article that I did, that I did on Twitter about how they need to push the tempo. Somebody said, Notre Dame doesn't have the talent to do RPOs. And I'm thinking you have no clue what an RPO is, right? I mean, an RPO is something you do, at times, some teams do because they don't necessarily have talent to win on the permanent receiver. I, I, it is amazing to me how some people come to the conclusions that they have about certain things. And you're just like, I don't even know how to address that. It is so wildly misguided. I don't even know how to address it. So I just ignore it. But it is definitely a part of what they need to do. It's about getting into an early rhythm. And, and when you go line up, stop, look at the sideline, look back. Now the defense has to move around. Now you've got to get an adjustment on the read of the defense, all those type of things. It kills rhythm. Now it's great for the offensive coordinator who can then go back and say, well, hey, I got us in the right call. But by doing it the way you did it, you have limited the opportunity and the odds that your team is going to have success, especially a young football team, especially a team that we're told by alums doesn't have talent. This is the Mm -hmm. last thing you should be doing in that instance. My hope is that that has changed. We shall see. But if they come out and push the tempo, limit the scan, because every team does looks to the sideline to get calls at times. That's fine. There's a time and a place for that. But they've so poisoned that very notion that anytime Notre Dame fans see it, they're just going to lose it now because of just the absurdity and, and how much they've done it the last couple of weeks. And it, it just, it's mind blowing to, to see it mm-hmm. and to understand why just, it makes no sense. So 
key number two, limit the scan, push the tempo, make the adjustments we talked about that allow you to get into an early rhythm, mix up your run game, get the ball out on the perimeter, RPOs, do things that allow Drew Pine to get into an early rhythm. And I think tempo is going to be one of those things. You just, you kind of saw it against North Carolina. Once Drew got rolling, there's no stopping him. There was nothing North Carolina could do to stop him at that point in time because he just got into that rhythm. And we saw against BYU, similar thing. Once he completed some early balls, he got into rhythm, and then he starts taking chances that you're like, okay, he probably shouldn't have thrown that ball. Oh, Drew, what are you doing? Hey, great pass. You know what I mean? Those, those are some of the things he was doing. And then against Stanford, is the exact opposite. Early failures, false starts, pressures, batted balls, all those type of things. And then it just got him completely out of, a, out of rhythm, into a funk, and he couldn't get himself out because he's a young kid who's – making his was making his fourth career start so it is now up to the staff to do things to make sure he gets into an early an early rhythm and pushing the tempo is one of the things they can do to do that right we are working in a very cohesive manner with with the keys to success right like these things are all super interrelated you know it's it's something where rhythm breeds confidence 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 leads to success that's why people play more confidently and then they kind of let loose a little bit like those things all kind of manifest themselves that way and the scan offense, I, I mean, it's not an offense. The scan is something that I am against so much. And I know we've talked about this, Brian, because I have always been a firm believer that you do your thinking on the practice field, right? You do your th- thinking in the meeting rooms. You do your thinking in between quarters at halftime when you're making adjustments. Those are when you make your 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 thinking process firm. Like That's when you really develop that understanding for what is expected of you. When you get on the field, practice makes perfect, right? Practice is supposed to be it's it's muscle memory. It's it's understanding of what you're looking for. So when you get on a football field, it's supposed to just go, man. Your body knows what it's supposed to be doing already. It knows what it's supposed to do on a certain play. It knows what it's supposed to do against a certain check. Those things are supposed to be ingrained in you the time the game comes around. And I think that the scan offense is a perfect representation of forcing players to think too much, getting them uncomfortable. We talked about being loose. We talked about being explosive. We talked about having fun. Those things only happen when a player's not thinking so much, man. I'm okay with the scan occasionally. You know, if, if there's a big play, like it's a fourth and one, fourth and two, and you have getting the perfect play, sure. If it's a big moment of the game, I'm fine with it. But the constant scan stuff just hurts your team, especially a team that has not been able to get in rhythm consistently this season. Those things hurt you. So I am fully on board. I'm about to start the Twitter the Twitter hashtag, man. Hashtag ban the scan. It's over with. I don't want to see it ever again unless it's in a very big moment in the game, especially not a part of the consistency of the offense. It's not, it's not going to help this team right now, especially this one. When you look at these different aspects of this, Ryan, it really comes down to I, I fear that the offensive staff, and, and, and it may be limited to, to one particular offensive coach, or perhaps we'll, we'll see because he's the one who has the autonomy to do whatever he wants on offense. But I feel like he has no ability to, to, to at least he, let me rephrase, he has not shown this season, and I'm not trying to take a shot, I'm trying to offer a legitimate constructive criticism of him. He has not shown the ability this season to be able to uh, – understand causality right like you can look at the end result and say well i called the right play it wasn't executed okay why now he gave us he said all the right things during the week of practice well it's all ultimately on me but saying it's on me simply 
conveys ownership of it's your responsibility as the offensive coordinator. It doesn't mean that you understand the causality of why these things are getting missed, why they were getting missed against BYU, why they were getting missed against North Carolina. Because what did we say after the North Carolina game? They left at least 17 points on the board in that game, right? Because of the similar mistakes. Same thing against North Carolina, same thing against Marshall, same thing against Ohio State. This team has left a lot of points on the field this season. They are not bad like the 2007 offense was bad in that that offense could not move the ball. This offense is bad in that they just constantly shoot themselves in the foot and miss opportunities that are otherwise there. And then so you have two things you can do, Ryan. You can look at it and say, well, hey, I'm calling plays that are getting dudes open. I can't throw the ball for them and block and tap, you know, block and catch and all this stuff for them. You can do that, and, in, and technically you're right. But clearly there's something wrong with how you're going about your business and how you go about sort of uh, preparing your guys to execute that you have to be able to look at. It's like, okay, is this lack of rhythm the thing that's the fact that we're so slow between plays, is that something that's playing into our inability to then play fast when the ball snapped? Is that something? Is it is it the way that we're practicing? Is it the specific process of, of drills that we go through? Is there a way that we can alter this, alter that? But you have to, as a coach, to truly be successful, be able to look at your operation and say, okay, this is the end result. This is the cause. Let's fix that. And the only way that we're going to see some change this week is if they can understand causality. And if they can, then you're going to be able to look at this and say, adjust it. We've got to stop doing this, limit this. We've got to adjust here. We've got to do this. And then our guys will play with the confidence they need to go execute at a high level. And that's the thing. Execution is the end game, right? It's the result. The process is what has to be correct to then lead to that proper result. And that's what so far the staff has shown an ability to do. And I believe one of the things they need to do to fix it is something they did last year, which is go faster. Just put a greater sense of urgency in everything that they do. And if they do that, I think, I think they'll be okay. And that's key number two. Key number three, Ryan, this is a, we talked about this yesterday, so we won't talk about it a ton. This is a week where they have to get the receivers involved. Number one, you need it for the next five games. Number one, you mm-hmm. cannot beat Clemson and USC and teams like that, Syracuse, if your receivers are not more of a factor. They don't have to be the foundation of the offense. We're not saying that, but they have to be better. They have to play with more confidence. They have to be more productive. They have to be a group that strikes more fear in the hearts of opponents in that if you don't respect that, they can hurt you. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. I think we pre-snap getting more movement in the in how they line up, getting adjusting your alignments. If your guys are struggling to get free off a of press, there are things you can do to protect that. Number one, there's another one thing you can do is more stack, more pre-snap, you know, short motions, more motioning across, uh, inver- simple things like inverting your alignment. Take your slot guy, put him on the line, and take your outside guy, put him off the ball. It gives them more room to kind of work and move and and make moves and those type of things. There's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, also altering who's in the game. I said it, I, I'll, I'll stick by it. I wrote this week. If Deion Colsey or Tobias Merriweather, uh, if one of those two guys is not on the field for all but 10 plays this game, you're not doing this right. Because mm-hmm. you need to give your young, six foot, not big armed, not great ball placement quarterback, bigger targets. And not yep. just tight ends, but also on the perimeter. Uh, that's exactly what Ian Book had when he first stepped into the starting lineup of 2018, and you saw how that affected him. He had one small mm-hmm. target, Chris Fink. The rest of his targets were minimum six four and a half or taller. 
And it allowed him to just say, man, just throw the ball up. Let those guys go make those plays. And it gave him confidence that I can go make these plays. So that's another part of it. But schematically, too, Ryan, they got to do things to get – they've got to game plan and scheme the receivers into success. RPOs are part of that, but also with the play action and dropbacks. They've got to do things that are utilizing the specific talents in a way that exploits their ability. We haven't seen that a lot this year. We need to see that against UNLV. And what it will tell me is if they do it, schematically not not just if the receivers run by the UNOV guys in the same routes they've done all year and UNOV's DBs stink they do they're not very good <laughs> and you have success doing the same stuff you've been that doesn't fix anything for me because you will not do it to Garrett Williams next week you you know yes. you just won't and so that's the key is I need to see some adjustments and how you're using them which then creates opportunities for success It's going back to the sustainability thing when we talked about it in the beginning of the show, right? Like Notre Dame could line up and run this ball, run the ball 50 times and probably win this football game. Like they could do that to you, right? They could just feature Michael Mayer and they could probably win this football game. But does that does that help you beat Syracuse? Does that help you beat Clemson? Because I know one thing, if you are a one-dimensional offense or one-dimensional passing attack against Clemson, they'll tee off on you, man. Because the less you have to they the less they have to prepare for really the lesson they have to fear is playing into their hands because we know that that is a defensive football team. So that is like the worst possible situation because next week, to your point, Brian, I mean, if Notre Dame's wide receivers aren't making plays, they'll just say Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut, you're playing man-to-man all game to let our other guys kind of move around more freely and create opportunities. Like those things are going to be created. You can't leave this game where your leader in receiving yards, wide receiver last week, is Tobias Merriweather off of one catch for 41 yards. That was your leading receiver. Your second leading receiver was Lorenzo Styles with two catches for 15 yards. That's unacceptable, man. It's unacceptable because now people have this assumption that there's no talent in the in the wide receiver room, and we know that to not be true. And where is potentially your biggest advantage offensively? I mean, you have a big advantage offensive line versus defensive line, but wide receivers versus these defensive backs, man, are a huge advantage athletically. I would Notre argue Dame that's be- the great advantage for Notre Dame, not because – Notre Dame's receivers are as good as the offensive linemen, but the defensive line at UNLV and the backers are significantly better than their secondary players. I agree a hundred percent. Yes. I agree a hundred percent. It's, I mean, I don't even think it's close, man. Like, honestly, I watched a couple of the games for UNLV's defense and it was hard to find positives out of the secondary, man. Like it's just not a good unit. And I understand that Notre Dame's wide receiver room has not played up to their potential, but from an athleticism perspective, just not even close, man. Like they're just on a different caliber of athlete from their wide receivers to UNLV's defensive back. So even talking about just this game, you need to have a kick up because that could be a huge advantage point for you. And then moving forward for it to be sustainable, your wide they receivers to have to be productive. Yeah. Have, they yeah need and they need confidence. They need confidence. Ryan, I, 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 I kind of, I'm going to push back. You're, you're correct from a production standpoint, but, and, and I'm not pushing back on you per se, but the perception out there of people saying, well, the receivers haven't played well. production doesn't equal play. So I had somebody say Lorenzo Styles hasn't played well all year. And, you know, kind of pushed back on a little bit. He said, well, uh, receiver one needs 80 yards a game. And he hasn't got to that yet. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, that's not a result of him not playing well. That's a result of him getting the opportunities. Now, Lorenzo is the one guy that I will say, because I was simply referring to the, the, the time of Carolina and BYU. I thought Lorenzo played well in those two games. He has not played well in the other games. I think Lorenzo Styles is the one guy that I would say, in my opinion, has not 
played to his potential this season. I think every other receiver out there that's that's played has been a guy that has has done things you need him to do when put in situations where you're playing to their skill sets. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the problem is. I think they haven't been used correctly more so than saying they haven't played to their potential. I mean, Tobias Merriweather, when given the opportunity, showed that's a dude. You know, I mean, and Jaden Thomas, when used correctly, has shown this kid can make plays. Then you go back against Stanford and ask him to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do. So same thing with Brayden Lindsay. And to a degree, true of Lorenzo Styles as well. But Lorenzo has had opportunities to make plays this year, and he's just drops really simple stuff. I'm not talking about yep. not catching one contested one-on-one. I'm talking about like crossing routes, you know, things like that. We're seeing him not come off the line hard. We're seeing him not show just flat, a lot of flat. urgency. Yeah, drop flat routes last week. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, not, just like, not yeah, blocking. The, like, right. Just the ball wasn't stuff, great man. by Drew Pine, but yeah. but you got to yeah. make that catch, right? I mean, you're supposed to be the 100%. top receiver. You've got to make that catch. So, the rest of those guys, I, I think that that it's about are that you're not using them correctly, and so that's the thing that I want to see here, Ryan. Is I want to see them use the receivers correctly, and then it's up to the receivers to produce or not. And if they don't, then you can say. Hey, they're just not good enough, and that's why I right. said you can't tell me something's not good enough if you haven't used that thing properly. So it's like, you know, if I if I buy you a car and and I say, hey, this is the car you're going to use to drive to work every day, and it's a stick shift, and you don't know how to drive a stick, and you're just jacking the whole thing up. I mean, this car is not getting me where I need to get. Like, well, it's not a car problem; that's a you problem, right? Learn how to drive a stick. I don't know how to drive a stick, right? So it's it's the premise of that is it, what is the reason for it? Is it the is the the vehicle to get to this level of success isn't good enough. A you know, all of the receivers, or you're not using the vehicle properly, so it's not getting you where you need to get to, right? Yeah. And that's that's where the thing is. Once you then use it correctly, okay, I got you a vehicle that that doesn't get you where it needs to get to, right? You're using it correctly, you're driving it correctly, keeps breaking down. You have to, you know, all these type of things, and we can say, okay, yeah, my bad, I got you a lemon. I'm sorry about that, right? That's kind of my thing, and that's what this game presents you as an opportunity because this is the perfect game to say let's build around the receivers a little bit more to build up their confidence because this is a secondary that's simply not good. It's the worst secondary you're going to face. You're not going to face the only other secondary that's potentially in the same conversation is Navy, and I would even argue Navy has a couple better players in the secondary than what UNLV has. Yeah. So if you if you can't do it this week, Ryan, it's just not going to happen. And it just tells me that you just have you you don't have an understanding of what you're doing wrong in allowing you to get them in position. So that's, that's my that's my deal. I mean, we see this 100 percent on the same page. I, I think from a production perspective, like let's just take it from that vantage point. Right. If you don't get things out of your wide receiver group this week, to your point, Brian, it's not going to happen this year, man. Right. Like it's just not going to, because it's not going to get easier from here. It's going to get harder. This is the week where you build that confidence. If you can't build it this week, then I don't know when you're going to build it. I really don't. Because even against Navy, like you might be able to have some success in the passing game and out wide, but you might have limited possessions comparative right. to most games, you know, like, so that's less opportunities. I mean, it's, this has to be the game. This has to be the game. Cause at, the, cause this is a game where Notre Dame could have the ball a ton because we know UNLV if you're able to kind of slow the run game down, they have no problem letting the ball fly. Like they'll throw the ball out there. It's going to, you know, cut, cut the clock at times when there's incomplete passes and penalties, all that type of stuff. So Notre Dame's going to have a lot of opportunities in this game. 
So if they're not able to capitalize on the opportunities against UNLV wide receiver wise, it's just probably not going to happen this year. It's just probably not. And that's it's at that point, it's almost like a wasted season at the position, right. and which is it very is. detrimental to, to the yes. program moving forward in a lot of ways. Yeah. Last one on offense. And this is, should be a simple one, right? It's get back to using the running backs more effectively. You saw three running backs can do a lot of different things, basically just run up the middle the entire game last week against loaded boxes. Yeah, you had a big run by Diggs here and a nice run by Tyree there. And but it was all it was more because your dudes are just better than their dudes. Get back to using 21 personnel effectively, get back to mixing up the looks, finding ways to get your running backs isolated in pat in the pass game, find ways to use your running backs, your second running back in ways at 21 personnel to then you know, open up creases in the run game, which we've seen, you know, we saw that it was, it was done so well against, against uh, Cal in North Carolina, you know, they came out against Cal and they used a motion to get Chris Tyree free. And then they used Chris Tyree's motion later to get Audrick estimate free for a big play. Then they came out the next week and used that same motion to open up an opportunity for Audrick estimate to just rip them with inside zone for a big game. There was so much creativity with the running backs, and then they went away from it. And it wasn't like, oh, BYU defended it or Stanford defended it. They just stopped using it for some insane reason to me. Uh, get back to that. I think the running backs in this game could be a big, big mismatch because the way that UNLV plays, it's going to force them to have their linebackers against the running backs. And if you're able to use the running back movement to in the run game, then that's where you can all of a sudden see somebody vacate a gap that allows your running backs to rip off big plays. So run game and pass game, I think proper usage of the running backs, which not only is proper schematic usage of them in the run game, so not just duo, counter, duo, counter, duo, counter, you know, mixing those things up, but more so using the pre-snap movements, using those type of things. You know, don't, you know, yes, Chris Tyree made a mistake on alignment last week. It happens, right? Correct it, move on. Don't don't. My fears are gonna the the result of the way Tommy Reese operates is oh he made a mistake he's not playing or he, we're not gonna use him again on that right that's that's BS. Use all of them, use their unique skill sets, do things to stress the defense. There, I, I would argue there aren't but maybe a couple backfields in the country that have the versatility of skill to be able to threaten opposing defenses in in more ways than what Notre Dame can do with their running backs. We saw it against North Carolina. We saw it, you know, late first quarter in late first half and then second half against Cal, and then it disappeared. Get back to it. If they can get back to it, then I think this this offense, if they do these four things, they will destroy UNLV. It's that simple. They they will, even if they don't necessarily make all of the schematic changes that we that we think they should do. If they execute and do make the adjustments here, then they're gonna they're gonna rip they're gonna rip you UNLV apart. I, I really believe that. For, for that couple game stretch where you started feeling better about the offense, Brian, like what was the big key? I mean, offensive line was playing better, of course, but the diversity with how they were using the running backs in the run and pass game was what got you so excited. I mean, you saw a lot of 21 personnel with two backs and just using them in different ways and motioning guys to get the eye discipline on the second level away from them and just hitting, you know, inside or outside zone and doing all those types of things, man. It's, you have such a great mixture. We've talked about it in nauseam at this point, you know, the, a trio of Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, and Chris Tyree. Like I would put those three from a 
fit perspective against anyone in the country, man. Like it is a really talented trio of backs, not even counting Jabron Payne, who hasn't seen the field, not even counting Jadarian Price, who is hurt and injured right now. There's so much talent in that backfield. And when you saw it, I mean, you have seen Audric Estime run inside zone. You've seen him run duo. You've seen him run power. You've seen him used out of the backfield on angle routes. You've seen Chris Tyree when used well. He could be an inside out runner that could also run some jet sweeps from time to time. He could be involved in the passing game, could do some stuff in the screen game. Logan Diggs, the same way. I mean, you've seen Logan Diggs used out of the backfield on wheel routes. So there's so much diversity opportunities with this running back room. For whatever reason, last game, Notre Dame was just like, nope, we are just going to run downhill, and that's all we're going to do all day, no matter who's in it running back. And that is limiting how effective three of your most talented offensive players can be in a football game. Be diverse. Ask them to do what they're comfortable with. But more often than not, man, don't make it predictable. Like putting Audrey Estime in the game and just running duo all day, I know exactly what he's doing. There's no diversity to it. There's no thought process defensively. Can we have a little bit of creativity with how they use the running gate, running backs? Because if they do, it's going to be hard to stop, man. Because like one play, you're, you're going against 230-pound Audric Estime. The next play, you have 197 lightning bolt in Chris Tyree on the field. Like It's just so different, and that's why it makes it such a difficult task to stop when they're utilizing them correctly. And they have to get back to it this week because last week did not fulfill the potential that the running back room has as a whole for Notre Dame. Last two weeks, really. I mean, outside of two yeah. slip screens, they didn't really do a whole lot against BYU other than just keep running them between the tackles. Eventually, they ripped off a couple of big plays, but you missed opportunities to really put that sucker away. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.